This morning, we're going to be looking at a, uh, from a minor prophet named Micah. Micah, if you don't know, Micah is one of the 12 minor prophets that are, whose books are right before the New Testament begins. Um, this morning, as we hear Micah's text, what I want us to do is to understand kind of the surrounding and the context uh, for what we're about to hear. So uh, Micah was a minor prophet living in a village west of Jerusalem some 800 years ago, um, before Jesus, or 800 years before Jesus was born, actually. And uh, he spent the first five chapters of his book pretty much as, folks, you people of Israel, this is what God asked of you, and this is how you lived out your life. Instead, and so for the first five chapters, um, the scene is is kind of stern. It's a courtroom scene, and 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 God is placing the evidence before the people of Israel and how they've broken relationship with Him. Um, bless you. So today, uh, we're in a courtroom. God's leveling charges against uh, Israel and reminding the people about all the things that God gave them um, from the promised land in the promised land. And it's there, when they cross over to receive the promised land, they turn their back on God. They lost their identity. They forgot who defines them. And they let the culture define who they are instead. And so this is where we're picking up. Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It's a very well-known text. You may have heard it before. Listen to this courtroom scene, and I'm going to explain it as we go through just a little bit. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. Okay, so here the judge is asking the witnesses to gather. And who are the witnesses? The very creation that God has made. And then God begins to make God's argument. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from the very house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Notice the Trinity there. Notice the inclusion of the woman into that leadership group. Oh, my people, remember Now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. Now, how many of you know what Balaam said? Do you all know that story of Balaam? Uh Uh-huh. What I thought. Well, Balaam, uh, he rode a talking ass. That's the best way. I mean, he he rode a donkey. Balaam was a prophet. And Balaam uh, was a prophet before the people of Israel crossed into the land of promise And there was this King Balak who lived in Moab, what is today Jordan, modern Jordan. And King uh, Balak wanted Balaam, a prophet, to pronounce bad stuff on the people of Israel before they, the the Hebrews, before they crossed over the river. 
And no matter how hard Balaam, the prophet, tried to follow the king's edicts to give a bad blessing, Balaam's donkey was smarter than the prophet and would hit the wall and turn around and speak to Balaam to say, that's not what you're supposed to say. So Balaam gives the people of the Hebrews a blessing instead. So that can be found back in Joshua chapters 4 and 5. Then we pick up. And, oh, my people, remember what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. Now, how many of y'all know what happened between Shittim and Gilgal? Uh-huh. You got to go to Numbers 25 for that one. You see, Shittim was this small um, city that was on the eastern side of the Jordan River above the Dead Sea. It's in what today is Jordan. And the people before they crossed with Joshua over into the Promised Land were gathered in this area, this village called Shittim. Now, the problem was is that the people, because they lost their identity as God's people, they began chasing after the local gods. Not only did they chase after the local women, the Moabite women, they started chasing after the local gods. So God is saying, don't forget, you lost your identity in Shittim, but when you cross the river to Gilgal on the other side of the Jordan River, you found your identity as the people of God, no longer wandering nomads, but a settled people in the land of promise. Got that? All right. Remember all that, God says. And then the people respond to God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with a calf a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousand of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? In other words, the people are saying, God, what else do you want? Micah says, God has told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Scholar Carol Dempsey reminds us the people have forgotten their story. The people have forgotten their identity. They have forgotten where they have come from. And as a result of losing their sense of identity, they have lost their purpose as a people of the Lord. They've lost that relationship. My friends, our scripture this morning is helping you and me define and paint a picture of what a true disciple of Christ is looking like. 
Micah answers the central question of what does it look like for you and for me to live a holy life? Now, the word holy we get all bent out of shape and concerned about sounds ultra-pious, and it doesn't mean that at all. A holy life is best translated to mean a life that is visibly different and separate from the rest of the culture or the world in which we live. It's where people can see that that person, there's something different about him or her. That group of people together, they're different than other groups in the community. You see, it's our way of intentionally living or seeking to live into the identity of God's chosen people. It's not a question of what we do to earn God's love and attention. The issue is how we have let our lives be shaped by God's identity for us and who we are as a community of the Spirit. In essence, it doesn't matter how many calves, goats, rams, bulls we sacrifice to God. That will not prove our love. It does not matter how many gallons and rivers of oil or sacrificed blood flow before the throne of God because the fruit of another's life will not prove our love to God. You see, God is telling the people of Israel that it's way too easy for them to sacrifice something else that's not theirs to God. That's way too easy. God is telling them, you know, it's easy to sacrifice your goat and your ram. What does it cost you? A goat or a ram costs them their life. No sweat off your brow. You're not paying the sacrifice. That goat or ram is. You see, it's easy to throw what's in our pocket in for the offering and say, well, God, that's all I got, instead of developing a heart of radical giving in all aspects of our life. This is what God is after, the deeper part. God is telling the people Remember who you are. Remember how I rescued you. Remember the price I paid for you. Remember you are beloved children of God. You see, beloved, Micah is having them remember their identity as beloved children of God, and springing from that sense of who they are, how they see themselves, their sense of identity, emerging from who they are as God's chosen and beloved, that is how they will live out their life. That's what it means to do justice, to, walk, to love kindness, to walk humbly with the Lord. Their identity as children of God means that they were intentionally to seek ways of living justly. Uh, Dempsey writes, justice is, transformative, is a transformative virtue that seeks to establish and restore community while aiming to balance personal need and growth with the common good of all there. The identity, their identity of the children of God means to love God and love others from the center of who they are, God's precious, graced ones. 
Loving kindness is more than showing just affection to God and neighbor. Loving kindness is an ethical love, willful love that is physically demonstrated to the other. Their identity as a children, a child of God, means they generously allow God to be God. In other words, they're humble. They let God be God, they're not. They know they are the created, God is the creator. Their humbleness allows them to give themselves freely, openly, extravagantly, unconditionally, because they know God has got it all in God's hands. The sum total of their lives are in God's hands, and so they can give away their life freely, generously. I love what professor of the Old Testament Patricia Toll says when she says, what God sought from the Israelites, what faith says God still seeks from you and from me is to cultivate the capabilities we have seen in our maker. That is justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our God. This, my friends, is why I entitled the message the way I did. Jesus asks no more from us than he gives himself. Jesus, my friends, treated people justly. Jesus shared loving kindness to everyone he met. Jesus walked humbly before his Father and generously gave himself so all might have life. Isn't that what this meal demonstrates? Church, where do you derive your identity? This past May, your session began crafting its identity of who we are as a church in the 21st century. We know where we've been, we know what we've done, and we began to think about what is our identity today as we are in the cusp of a new decade. And your elders believe this church, its identity is called by God to share the good news that we are to be an inspiring Christ-centered presence in this community and transform Fort Lauderdale and beyond with the love of God. That's the identity your session has placed, is placing upon us to live into. Did you hear it? Our identity is to be sharing, inspiring, transforming people. You do notice that the identity is all other-directed. Did you get that? It's all other-directed. It's all about who we are sharing, who we are inspiriting, who we are transforming in the name of the gospel in the larger community. So friends, if this is who we are as a congregation, we're sharing the good news, inspiring Christ-centered lives, and transforming communities for the gospel, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? Well, my dream as your pastor is that we live into our identity as sharing, inspiring, transforming people as transforming, inspiring, and sharing congregation by following Jesus' model.
Jesus has already done what we are supposed to do. So how are we going to live into this sharing, inspiring, and transforming work? Three ways. We're going to live intentionally. We're going to love unconditionally. We are going to give generously. Living intentionally is our growing, you're growing, this church growing its faith, its Christian character by growing in the 30 core competencies. What is it you need to know? Who are you supposed to, what are you supposed to do and who are you to be? Who are we as a church? What are we supposed to know? Who are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to do? The 30 core competencies, it's building micro-Christian communities that are incubators for ministry in the world. We're going to live intentionally into that. How do we develop micro-Christian communities to spread out and transform, inspire our community? Loving unconditionally. That means we are to reach out to society's quote-unquote other. Whoever that other is. We are to be the serving hands and feet of Jesus Christ, as St. Teresa tells us, in and around this place. We are to voice, to give voice to those who have no voice. We are to address the systems of injustice and intolerance in this community with sharing the good news and spiriting Christ-centered focus and transforming the world. And finally, we're to give generously. Giving generously means we shall give of our time to missional work. We will humble ourselves for the work of Christ. It means we will use our spiritual gifts and all that we have that belongs to God and place it humbly before the Lord to do kingdom of heaven work. It means that what I have is not mine. This church is not yours. It is not the board of directors. It is not at the Presbytery of Tropical Florida. It is God's church. And until we all humble ourselves and realize it, that it's not ours, we can give it away then. When it's God's, you can't outgive God. You know, this church has a tagline. Do you know what it is? Where faith comes alive. Well, so what? So what? How does it come alive? See, I think we have to take it a step further. I believe faith comes alive when we live intentionally, when we love unconditionally, and when we give generously. Amen? This, my beloved, is how we share the good news, inspire, and transform our world. That's how we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before the Lord. Live intentionally. Say it with me. What's the second one? That's how we're going to live into our identity, brothers and sisters. Amen? 